Welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood. This is the Steve Crandall interview part one. Hope you enjoy it. It's definitely a good one that gets heavy at times and talks a little bit about everything. So Steve will be at the Find Your Fight Kevin Robinson Jam fundraiser on July 29th. I hope the rest of you will as well. Contact me with any questions about that, and I'll be happy to help in any way I can. So enjoy the podcast, and I'll have part two posted next Sunday. Have a great week. Yeah, you know, I think this this whole ant thing, I think, has something to Dave Matthews because he had the whole ants marching song. And he I probably, don't know anything about that, but he's from not far from here. No, it's Charlottesville. Ants marching, man. It had to come from all the ants that are everywhere in Virginia. What the uh, heck is this? I mean, that's what happens when you live outside. <laughs> you living outside is the, is the best part people, of our people, lives. I don't think people believe it. I think people think I'm fucking with them. I don't know if you like it, but the rest of us like it. And that's all that matters. But I think also the people that do believe it, like, think that I'm, I'm still driving around and, like, sleeping at a truck stop somewhere on, like, behind trails. It's like, oh, well, right. I'm parked, man. <laughs> yeah, you're parked. You're, like, uh... But, you're, I'm, you're, but I'm in motion still. You get that whole garden scene. Yeah. There is a garden going over here. I don't know if you saw that. I did. I see tomato plants. I see a couple some different... Some basil. Spinach and some peppers. Yeah. I don't even remember, really. Nice. So, welcome to the BMX in Our Blood. We are with Steve Crandall, the Cran Man. And I've been uh, wanting to do this for a long, long time. And reason being is I'm a big fan of Steve's, and I really wanted to do this, just the two of us in his spot, in his local scene. And um, I don't live close to here, so I've been... Uh, I've been putting it off a little bit, and um, fortunately, it's happening now. So, thank you, Steve. Welcome to the bus, <laughs> and thank you for making your way to Virginia, where I live. And uh, it is a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you so much. No problem. And we had a hell of a day. It was a, it was a good day. Super, super stoked. Riding, riding the Gillies, Gillies. We call it a pump track, but man. It, it was only pumping on the landings. Um, Seltzer, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take one if you don't mind. Right, oh, nice. So we had, we had a really good day of riding, sessioning with a bunch of friends of him around here. And showed me around the city, which is really cool. We'll do some more of that tomorrow. But uh, I got a place I want to start with because I don't think people realize it, but you are not from upstate New York. You're actually from Long Island and Connecticut. I wait till your mouth is full. <laughs> Good job by me. Um, I grew up in a military family. My dad was in the Navy and then in the Coast Guard. And uh, I was born in Miami. We lived in Maine. And then we moved to 
Fairfield, Connecticut. I think my dad worked in Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. But he was on some Coast Guard buoy tenders there. Makes sense. When yeah. we were in Maine, he worked on those, I think they're called ice cutters or something like that, where he would oh, okay. go up the frozen rivers to keep them from freezing over. But um, we lived from Connecticut. I did kindergarten there. And then first grade, we moved to New York City. We lived on Governor's Island. Oh, wow. And my parents are from New York City originally. And then my dad worked in the Brooklyn Navy Yards until mm -hmm. he retired um, in about 1986. And we lived on Long Island until then. And then in 86, we moved to Ithaca, New York, which is where my formative years were and where FBM was founded. Oh, okay. And you started riding? I started riding. Uh, I, I was messing around on Long Island, but um, I, had a, I started getting some good bikes-ish in like about 84. And then we didn't. We lived in kind of a cutty area. I kept my bikes kept getting stolen. Right. And then uh, moved to Ithaca in '86. That's right, man. It's, it's... Yeah, the neighbors are ripping their motorcycle around. <laughs> so we, we moved to Ithaca '86. I think I was in seventh grade. That's when I met Tag, uh -huh. um, Mike Tag, and uh, we started getting into BMX. Like, saw him in school. We were both looking at BMX magazines in Spanish class, and then we became friends and. After that, met Magilla, and then we had a crew, like it was this dude Hambone, Magilla, Tag, myself, and then we met dudes like Toast and Kelly Baker and Kim Baker, which were like the older generation, and uh, that was the Ithaca crew back in the old days. Wow. How long did you stay in Ithaca then? Um, I lived in Ithaca until I graduated high school in about 92-ish, and then we started traveling. In 93, me, Tag, and Gilly, with our buddy Crazy Joe, we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana to live with Stu Johnson. And then from 93 to 95-ish, 96, we all lived in Fort Wayne. After that, I moved to Dayton, Ohio for a year. And then Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for a year. And then I got a job working at Standard for like a half a year. And then I got hurt really bad and had to get uh, leg surgery. I broke my leg real bad. Oh, wow. And then I moved back to Ithaca in 97. So I've, I've lived back and forth. Like Ithaca's always kind of been home base and I would go out into the wild and, you know, go see what was happening and then end up back in Ithaca, you know, and FBM is still in Ithaca. Rip it and rip it. Um, FBM has been in Ithaca off and on since its existence, you know, it kind of traveled with me wherever I was. When we started the machine shop in 2000, one, I believe, 2000 or 2001, we moved to Binghamton, New York, and we shared the same building as East Coast Terminal Skate Park. And uh, that was after our offices had caught on fire and burned down in Ithaca. And we uh, we made the step from just being, you know, a product and a company that offered frames to becoming a frame manufacturer. And we were in Binghamton until, like FPM Bike Company was in Binghamton until about three or four years ago when we moved back to Ithaca. Got it. And FBM currently is headquartered in Ithaca, New York, and I guess technically I'm rogue, like out in the wild, yeah. uh, living out of the bus in Richmond, Virginia. Right, gotcha. But I go back and forth to Ithaca like as often as I can. Mm -hmm. So you, the way I remember it is FBM came onto the scene through t-shirt sales, eventually the Ring of Fire. Was Ring of Fire the first video? Ring of Fire was the first official release. Okay. So before you got into bikes, you were... You we were, were just uh, like a crew. Mm -hmm. And we sold t-shirts and made stickers and we made some hats and a video. 
and we kind of just sort of like kept evolving from just being some friends to like a t-shirt company to like t-shirt product and eventually we made a sprocket and a stem and then it was like well let's try to make a frame and we ended up hooking up with the guys at Spooky Cycles and they made our first bikes. What year was that? That was, I'm gonna guess late 97, 98-ish. And then Spooky kind of, they made our first batch of bikes and then they started going out of business or restructuring, I forget exactly how it worked, but those dudes were super influential and like very helpful in us. That's Kevin know. Hopkins. And yeah, and his brother and then Frank the Welder and right. a couple other dudes and then Big Dave also worked there. And Dave he, Harrison. Dave Harrison kind of on. like came into the fold through that, like, mm -hmm. You know, he he was very like in tune with our our scene, you know. Right. For lack of a better way to put it. Right. So they started going out of business. We got some bikes made by Caston and then Moss, which was a company in Louisiana that made our bikes and T ones. Oh. I didn't know that. What's that? Nah, don't worry about it. No, no. we're fine. This is uh this is actually this is picking up good. Cool. We're fine. Yeah, I mean, what better than to have a motorcycle revving yeah, in the background? Totally it's... appropriate. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I, you know, if I'm jumping around too much, I apologize. No, but, not uh, at all. We'd gotten bikes made at Moss after Caston. Lynn Caston made, and like, you know, it was like we were in a very heavy learning curve scenario. We really didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, but we were like, we we know you're. Your forks had to have cost twice as much because they had two legs. So yeah, you know, that had to the, put the you right out of the market. First quote was right. like, <laughs> "I was like, you realize we, we want two legs? No, they didn't make forks for <laughs> no. us, thankfully." Um, that's a fucking joke. That's a funny ass joke. <laughs> yeah. um, that's all I got. <laughs> so yeah, then Moss, and then I think we were messing around with some ideas, working with a local machine shop, trying to build some stuff out. Around Ithaca? Yeah, and then yeah. Dave had come up and started trying to work with them to try to, like... We, the, the guys that were making our sprockets were... We kind of talked to them about maybe trying to, like, house a production facility for FBM. And right. Dave was working with them on that. And then our headquarters in Ithaca caught on fire. Oh. Uh, thanks, Chris Holman. Oh, <laughs> totally. Now, it, was he working there? Or was, Chris, he, Chris or was, was shooting, he at the park? Chris was shooting photos. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. us and uh oh, okay. had moved some boxes by a heater and then later that night the boxes had gotten too hot and caught on fire oh, it wasn't really guy. chris's fault but he like he but took he, the blame yeah, for it like oh, he, he felt really bad sucks. he's but, such like, a nice guy yeah it was like it was a very difficult situation you know right and uh i actually need to thank chris for setting fbm on fire because that lit the fire under us literally yeah because we'd always talked about wanting to start our own manufacturing facility right but that was like we were faced with like all right we can pack up our bags and all go our separate ways right or we could jump in the fire and go for it and start our own machine shop mm -hmm. and uh you know basically we were like hey you know dave like we believe in you we trust that you can man up this operation would you like to you know yeah. be basically the foreman of of the machine shop for FBM and he reluctantly took on the challenge you know he was like you know I, I knew that he wanted to do yeah, that he was but young then, yeah right? he was he was young we were all really young it was sure. all like you know earn as you learn style so like Dave Dave was like yeah we could do this yeah. but I think in the back of his mind he was like I hope we could do this yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. and we were all kind of like that but we were also like we were all really young and we were like I think our enthusiasm might have been uh, created some momentum 
uh -huh. that helped get us over like all the new mistakes and you know and the trial and error and like you know the the bad foresight with like getting into a manufacturing business it was like a, we took on a big project right and uh with you know, little capital right yeah we were you know by our bootstraps right. you know shoestring budget right you know, keep it going with the yeah yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> but exactly. it was um <laughs> but you know like thankfully like we had the right dudes and we had the right attitude and people believed in fbm and it was the right time and the right place and we made it work and you know everyone poured their hearts and souls into fbm and I think that was like the the that was like our establishment, our foot, our footprint, so to speak, in BMX. You know, it was like that was when we all started to learn, like, hey, you know, individually we all have our talents, mm -hmm. and we could do cool stuff. But like, if we work together, like, we can make bikes, we can throw events, we can start right. our own distribution company, we can have our own trade show. You know, we could really make a mark in BMX. And it wasn't like we were doing it because we were ambitious to like. You know we weren't trying to achieve something we were like each time we accomplished some goal it was like wow if we could do that then we could do this you know if like if we can make frames then we could probably make forks and if we can make forks and you, you know just bars and, yeah it's like yeah. every every challenge created a new opportunity mm -hmm. and then every opportunity was like you know another chance to do something cool and fun that we've never done before and it was like you know, like there was a lot of growing pains and, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of strong personalities, you know, working hard in close, you know, circumstances. So it wasn't like all roses by any stretch, you know, like, sure. and there was like, you know, a lot of times I look back, I'm like, well, I wish I would handle things like a little smoother, or, sure. you know, but like back then, you know, especially I can't thank all the dudes that came together as a part of FBM, mm -hmm. like our team and like our staff. And also just, like, the people that supported us was, like, coming to our events, buying our bikes, you know, like, buying t-shirts, buying our videos, you know, giving us a place to crash when we're on the road, you know, sharing their pizza and their beer with us and, like, the whole bit, you know. It was, like, a good time and a good place for us to be doing what we were doing, like, right. and, like, become FBM Bike Company. It was mm -hmm. pretty, I'm like, I look back with, like, a lot of pride and a lot of, like, appreciation for everything that we were able to do, but, like the people that enabled us to like really come into our own it was right. like really special well we're talking uh 93 right so it's, is it 25 years now yeah we've been doing fbm since i think we started in 92 but i think i started keeping track in 93 because i yeah. remember me tagging gilly our parents we graduated high school in 92 we were all 17 years old and our parents gave us they asked us what we wanted to do as like a graduation present. We all mm -hmm. bought plane tickets to go visit our buddy Toast in Seattle. Okay. And we went that fall. And I remember having some FBM gear already. If, if my if my timeline's correct, FBM existed in September 92. Okay. And we went out there and that was like our first like trip to the West Coast. And we stayed for like two weeks and we just like ate 7-Eleven hot dogs and like <laughs> big gulps. And, you know, we would get the big gulp and, you know, you could put a bunch of stuff inside the big gulp cup and spate, which, <laughs> so you could get a snickers bar and like some camera batteries and some film and you could stuff it in there and still fill it with soda and put the lid on and then go pay for it and then for like you know 89 cents you got you know half a meal and like some double a batteries and whatever else you could fit in there and a soda and then like 
the two for one hot dogs. Oh my so that's God. how we that's how we survived our first big trip. Oh, that's so good. That's technically good. FBM I think has been around since ninety two, but officially oh. ninety three, which makes this year our twenty five year anniversary right. birthday. Like right. we've we've managed to survive for twenty five years or as I like to put it, we've been going out of business for twenty five <laughs> years now. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. So so you've had a lot of people come through there because I've done past podcasts and I was a little surprised at, at one name that came through when I was out of the scene and it was John Paul Rogers. I mean, yeah. he um, was there. So, I mean, who were a couple of the people that came through that, that so, so Big Dave surprised? Big Dave does pedal-driven cycles now. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like the boss of the machine shop. Right. And then Jeff Harrington was the boss. I say boss, but he, like, managed... Um, Last Call Distribution, which was, you know, FBM sales division. Mm-hmm. So him and eventually, well, John Lee worked there and then left and came back. Carrie Sarah worked there and a few other people. Um, and in the machine shop, there's been various people. Um, Ken Musgrave, mm-hmm. John Quartz and his brother Mike Quartz, Dylan Cole. Oh. So John Quartz worked for FBM, went out and lived in California for a year, few years. Uh-huh. Made, made bikes and for solid. Okay. And then came back to FBM and now he's... He, he manages the machine shop now at FBM, right. and he, he welds all the bikes. But um, sometime, I forget the year exactly, it must have been early 2000s, we decided to try to take on offering complete bikes mm-hmm. with the goal to expand our audience and increase our sales revenue and use that money to reinvest into the machine shop. Mm-hmm. With like we, like Our thinking was... Like this is before a lot of people had started offering completes and like the rider owned like hardcore sort of on the like the new wave of BMX companies, right? And um, smaller, like, smaller than the uh, the quintessential uh, California companies. Yeah. So we were like, well, if we can offer an entry level bike and then get that rider stoked on FBM, and then eventually become someone that buys a bike that we make ourselves, mm. then that would be really cool. Right. And um. I got to talking with John Paul. I'd been friends with him, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time, and I was sure. basically I was kind of feeling out like what he thought about the idea, and ended up offering him the job to come right. develop and you know implement this whole complete bikes project for FBM, and uh, which he was no stranger to, having worked through no, S&M worked and S&M, Schwinn, Schwinn, a bunch of places. I, right. and, um, so yeah, like and John Paul came and worked at FBM for a few years, so that was pretty cool. You know, someone that I looked up to in the magazines. Mm-hmm. And like you know, I have all these people. Where at one point we had ten or eleven people working at FBM, and you know I'm still like, you know, 27 years old. I'm still a really young dude, or whatever. Right. However old I was, I might have been 30. I might have been 25. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Blink of an eye. I can't remember anything. Right. <laughs> but like, one of the things that's like I learned early on, I got all these like strong personalities, these talented BMXers, mm-hmm. all working together. It creates a lot of discord. Which is like a lot of egos, a lot of pride, a lot of stubborn behavior, and myself included in all those descriptions, and all young, and none of us have a handbook on how to do any of this. So sometimes it wasn't always smooth, but it was always awesome. You know, we always were able to accomplish some really cool stuff. We just weren't always that nice to each other. (laughs) And it was like, one of the things I realized after a while, it was like, I wasn't hiring these amazing people so that I could be their boss. I was hiring them so that we could do more cool stuff with FBM 
but in effect, you know, I was the founder of FBM. I was their boss. So it created a totally different dynamic to all of our friendships, which was like, you know, that's like some of the growing pains we went through as like young people, you know, trying to make some version of the American dream our own, you know, and it sure. was like... It had to be hard to hire friends. It was very hard because like, I never realized that like, I was on the flip side of all that shit. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, me and Mike Erb, the other owner, we're the bosses. Right. You know, Mike handles like the internal runnings of the company. Mm-hmm. I work on like the promotions and like the exterior of the company, what people see. Mm-hmm. And like together, you know, we work with the group that make up FBM. Right. And it's like, it's it's challenging to it's it's hard to even describe it but it's like all right i trust you and i want you to be a part of this have at it right and at the same time it's like they kind of look they're used to having a boss that's like maybe looking over their shoulder or has more experience than i do or and i'm just kind of like hey like hop in the van let's go for a ride and see what we can make out of this bike company and it's like i'm thinking like hey we're all in this together but at the same time i'm also their boss and i didn't i don't think i really like understood that entirely as we were like moving you know progressing with the bike company and it's like you know in hindsight everything's 2020 but it's sure. like you know looking back i'm like I, I i can't thank those dudes enough for being so crucial in like developing and helping sustain like something that's been you know sort of a benchmark in east coast bmx like fbm's become important to a lot of people and it was never me that did any of this, but I was very good. I'll give myself credit for getting the right people involved and getting everybody stoked to do cool shit, you know, right. like, and like, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with taking credit for that, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. I think it's, it's, it sounds like you naturally settled into the right combination of personalities yeah. to it and at the right amount of employees. John to... Paul definitely yelled at me a lot when we worked together. <laughs> but God damn um, it. <laughs> You're not supposed to yell at me. He's like, yeah. Well, he's, he's slightly opinionated. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Yeah. With John Paul and, and all the dudes, it's like, no matter how thin you cook a pancake, there's two sides to every story. You know? Uh-huh. That's true. <laughs> so those dudes are going to be like, Crandall, you dummy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lamont, you big dummy. <laughs> but. Oh, man. So in that, I acknowledge that I wasn't always perfect, you know, as FBM evolved. Right. But I cannot take credit for all the success we've had. Mm-hmm. However humble some of these successes were. Like the dudes that are a part of FBM on every level the whole the whole time. They made it happen, you know. And like I'm just lucky to have found a vehicle for us to like do something cool with. The vehicle being FBM, you know, and it's like and it's you know, like, I think a lot about things, you know, it's like I've been around a long time and, like, times have changed and, like, mm-hmm. FBM's waxed and waned over the years and it's, like, it's very humbling to have built a bike company that makes something in America, like, it's a very, very challenging, you know, undertaking. But in that, we developed a community and a real sense of, like, something that's bigger than all of us and I, like, am very proud that, like, I've been able to be a part of something like that, you know, like... Like, that's really cool for me, like, to be able to look back and be like, hey, we made bikes, but we also made this really cool niche within BMX that is, like, important to so many people and includes so many people, and in a lot of ways, it makes a lot of people's lives a little bit better, you know, even if it's just, like, 
because they have a cool bike or mm -hmm. they got to have a fun weekend at a jam we did or they just like the stupid dumb shit I drew on a t-shirt you know like, yeah it's and, like and you've kind of answered the question I'm gonna ask but what does the FBM community represent to you and I can tell you that I saw it today on a local level I mean these are your local friends I could see it it's I, I mean I don't know if I'm if I can answer it accurately but I think it mm -hmm. FBM it means like you know doing the best with what you got and working with the people that are close with you the like-minded like good people that you spend your life with just doing cool shit like everybody's participating and just you know just trying to make the best of, of what you got in life you know like we didn't have pro endorsements you know we weren't famous we didn't have a lot of money we literally like built our company from the ground up we didn't have you know a parent company like gave us a slush fund to like you know squander it was like we reinvested everything we had into FBM and we worked with the right people at the right time and we took some relatively calculated risks and sometimes it totally didn't work and other times it worked better than we could have imagined would you say speaking of the community aspect of it would you say that your your ability to uh, to put together events which of course I know how hard that is and you do way more of them than I do uh, your ability to put together events is as effective as the the product itself I think the events like FBM machine shop stuff it's like a tangible product that FBM makes mm -hmm. I think the events are the community that we create and like in 25 years we've probably done I'm gonna guess like 75 to 100 contest jams demos whatever like a hundred grassroots level events is crazy that's and insane like, I can't think of another company that's and done we, and largely we've done that without you know like network television money or like you know we've had some a lot of sponsors pitch in over the years sure. but it wasn't like you know Red Bull helped us out a few times gave us some money to build dirt jumps and mm -hmm. like hire Dave King and so you know we didn't just do it like just with sweat equity you know right. but a lot of the times you know like Big Dave would be out on the course for the ghetto comp like using a sump pump trying to pump out the storm that came through the night before so we could get the ramps dry right. or like you know John Paul would be like you know helping smooth out the runway you know for the brawling of the Belmar jumps and like mm -hmm. you know Corrigan's a pro rider but he's building the loop out of pallets and like you know I'm getting in the way dropping nails everywhere <laughs> like, so like right so I think that like there's like a few different facets of F to FBM but like we make a product and that's something tangible and real and that's like part of like the business and then we made our community which is completely separate of like commerce but that's a whole different kind of currency we get people involved people participating on every level like riding helping build ramps or jumps or you know like judging or whatever or just hanging out and being a part of the show mm -hmm. and like I think that has given us an opportunity to really connect with our scene and our you know like I think that's unique like other companies have budgets to hire celebrity riders and do like you know this that and the other thing which is cool for them but we never had the same resources as other companies so we've always had to improvise and innovate so it's like okay well what gets people stoked I don't know riding bikes well let's let's get everyone together let's ride some bikes let's you know we'll make some funny t-shirts that weekend and we'll 
you know we'll get everyone here to like hang out and have fun and it's like none of it was like there was never like a business plan where we were like hey you know this is our this is our shtick right this is what we're gonna do it's always been like what what do we have at our our disposal to work with mm-hmm. and how can we use it the best we can you know what's what's sure. the best way to use it sure so you weren't actually looking for a return on investment with these events you were just trying to build a community that that identified well with, like I, with what you're doing it was a, it, it was I mean, that, on one end it was like okay let's see what the bmx world is up to we can't afford to go see everybody let's get them all to come here and hang out with us so we would I don't think we realized it at the time, but looking back, I was paying attention to like what kind of bikes people were into, how they set up their bikes, you know, where things are with riding, and you know, we had our fingers on the pulse, so to speak, like pretty closely. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like dumb, like a fox. We were like, sure. well, let's get everyone to come hang out with us, and then we can like sell them some T-shirts to pay for the screws for the wood, right. and maybe they'll be so stoked on FBM that they'll buy, you know, an outsider or a night train for their next bike. That was my point. Is that I. I never took it as as there being any strings attached. It seemed like the events no, were it, just a pure... We, we always did that stuff like with the underlying theme that we were promoting BMX. Mm-hmm. And then if BMX did good and people were stoked, then that would help FBM do good. You know, it's like a lot of other companies would use their promotion, promotional resources to promote their riders and to promote their product. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we tried to do that the best we can also. But, you know, without, you know... A big budget to bankroll this stuff it's like all right well how are we going to get people stoked it's like all right well we're filming all this stuff let's make some videos mm-hmm. you know we can get everyone we know we can get everyone together to have some fun so let's do that you right. know let's take some some road trips and like let's go meet as many people as we can right right and like i think that's been a strong connection for us in the bmx community was like people were like oh they're kind of just regular dudes and like they're friendly and like they're down to earth you know, some of the dudes were total stars. Like Mike Tag was a celebrity. You know, Gilly is a celebrity. You know, mm-hmm. some of the riders that passed through FBM were like, you know, really famous. You know, like, you know, Ron Kimler rode for us. Butcher rode for us. You know, the, the ECD know Butcher. Wow, I didn't. You know, know that. like, and then some up and coming riders came through the ranks. You know, like Bob Sherbo, George DeSantos, really? Cameron Wood, Tony Cardona, Tony Hamlin, Aaron Ross. Like these people. They all were, came through FBM. Yeah, like they got their start with us. And, you know, unfortunately, we became a stepping stone. But at the same time, like, they outgrew FBM. So they would move on to another sponsor, you know, which could, like, adequately... Adequate? Is that the right word? I can't even speak. (laughs) Adequately, like, provide for, like, someone that's growing within the sport, you know? Which is rad, you know? Yeah. Like, I remember, you know, Aaron Ross was pretty... He was probably our... It was like BMX was changing at that point. Things were becoming social media related. Mm-hmm. And he was early onset with that transition in BMX, and he was just wildly famous. Like we sold a lot of, we did a Stairmaster, you know, signature bike with him. You know, we we he ended up riding for us via Empire. Like they were like, hey, this guy's riding one of your bikes. Uh, okay. We think that he could be, you know, someone that would benefit FBM, and it would be good for him to get a new bike because mm-hmm. he destroyed his bike. <laughs> and uh, so through Empire, you know, we developed a relationship with Aaron. Uh-huh. He went on to become way more famous than FBM, right. and you know we were happy to help him along the way. You know it's always a little bittersweet when somebody like sure. moves on, but yeah, you got to be happy for him we, that they're we're not. You know it's like we don't want to like hold anyone back. Sure. At the same time, we're not harboring any illusion that we're like a giant company that has unlimited funds to do shit. You know right. it's like 
do our best. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, obviously Aaron is with uh, Sunday, right? Yeah, Sunday and Odyssey Pro. So, but a lot of these guys went to companies during that, that time period of the late 90s, early 2000s, right? And those companies folded. So some I, I don't know if necessarily I think a lot of a lot of our team went to S&M Moeller like cherry picked some of our guys whether he realized it or not uh-huh. like Vic Ayala Bob okay. Sherbo uh, Cameron Wood Tony Cardona they all became S&M riders oh okay after they were you know kind of getting their chops with FBM like these guys would all like they didn't become notorious and well known riders because of FBM right. they would have done that anyway but they kind of like you know, got their start with us. You know, their first like bike sponsor and stuff. And I gotcha. so I think some of the some of the dudes left for like some weird opportunities and like maybe they were a little short sighted. And those are the ones I'm thinking of. Yeah. But, but I'm glad you mentioned other companies. But most of the dudes, standing. we did a good job of like creating an influence with the people that we worked with, so that they weren't just going to cash in on some bullshit sponsor and like right. go ride for some corny ass company and like. You know that goes out of business or drops their program, and like it, I'm sure it happened, yeah. but I don't remember off the top of my head. But mostly, like it was like, you know, riders would outgrow like what we could do for them, or mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, or vice versa. You know, be like, hey, you know, it's, maybe it's not working out, or maybe it's at time. that point, are you more like a friend or a parent, and you're saying, hey, just you know, watch yourself and make sure this. There's never been this... like a, like a policy where I'm like, all right, dude. It's always been like kind of like became understood between like sure all parties involved you know yeah mostly either i'd get sick of somebody or they'd get sick of me or <laughs> mostly they'd get sick of me so it was just time <laughs> yeah it's like it, but um yeah. our our group has always been like there's never been like auditions or tryouts for the fbm team it's like yeah you know if you weren't part of the group then you became a part of the group through the proper channels which like mm-hmm. in the case of aaron he was recommended to us through Empire, right? You know, and then like, you know, Cody and like Eric Hennessy and those guys came through Circuit. So like, yeah, you know, yeah, shops yeah. that we have close relationships with, they understand our company, they understand the riders that they work with. You know, and they, it's like, it, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily gotten to know Aaron had it had it not been for Empire. But we had a great time like when he was a part of FPM. It was a really sure. cool, you know, unique experience for probably both of us. You know, and it was, and you know, then, that's that's radical. And then you added the guys from around here, like uh, like Garrett and Shane and his brother? The Leaper Sorry. Bros. Leaper Bros. So in Richmond, um, Eric Holiday was living here. He lives up near D.C. and Baltimore area now. Mm-hmm. Kenny Horton was living here. He's living in Austin, Texas now. Um, these are some of the, like, the core dudes that have been a part of FBM for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Seamus McKeon lives in Charlotte area where Declan Murray lives. Oh, okay. But in town, there's Garrett Ginch, the Leaper Bros. Um, Neil Heiss lives here. Latin Coghill lives here. Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of the guys locally. I'm going to forget because I'm brain sure. dead already. But, uh, you know, Curtis Cantwell is a young dude that we've been helping out with stuff. That has, He's having a video premiere this weekend with his buddy Donnie at Powers Bike Shop. Oh, that's what they're doing at Powers. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. And okay. uh, so, yeah, it's like a lot of the dudes that we work with are in proximity because it's like with a company like FBM it's like without that connection it's hard to like sure. keep things like close you know because it's like can't just like FBM is very heavily reliant on like real time interactions like mm-hmm. we gotta bro down right you know it's like and if not then there has to be a strong bond between everybody so that's like hey I didn't see you for a while but 
it's cool. We know that you're doing cool stuff. If you need something, let us know. And when we get together, we're going to have a time. Right. You know, so. Uh, how did the Hellhands come about then? Um, I think, so I think the Hellhands showed up on a, a spaceship from a perfect <laughs> world in a galaxy far away where, like, Jen and Mike created these creatures <laughs> that were just cool and talented and fun to hang out with. And uh-huh. wise beyond their years. Right. Um, I forget exactly how it came about, but I know a couple of people were like, hey, you guys should pay attention to these dudes. And I was like, kind of blew it off for like a minute. Pittsburgh friends, probably. Yeah. And then yeah. Johnny Quartz was like, I think we should make some bikes for these dudes. So I don't know if he was the first one to like connect the dots, mm-hmm. but he, he was like, I want to make some bikes for these young dudes. And I was like, oh, all right, cool, whatever. And, and I, I don't remember how it worked out at first, but then it just developed into them becoming like, FBM team riders that are like right. micro sized. Right, and right. And it's like, it's really cool. Like, it's mm-hmm. really, it's really cool to see kids so young that grew up under the influence of FBM sure. become the people that are influencing us. Right. You know, they are influencing me personally, you know, like, and they're just cool. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, they, they can ride with, you know, eight year old kids the same way they could ride with like a, you know, Crist Oil. Mm-hmm. You know, they can have the same session, same, like, energy. And it's, like, really unique and cool, I think. It's, like, they're a, a totally different breed. You know, they broke the mold with that, that family, and it's, like... No doubt. I couldn't be happier that however things happened that, like, we all connected. Like Sure. And, like, my only... I wish we could do more for them, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I wish that we could, like, put them in a Learjet and send them to every spot in America, <laughs> you know? Like, go have all the fun. It's, like... We make bikes for them, like we make bikes that fit them, and they're good bikes. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we just made a 22 for Mike, so Papa Hallahan can oh, have nice. an FBM to rip around on. And um, yeah, dude, I'm just you know all the FBM crew, like uh-huh. super proud and happy to have them as a part of FBM and as a part of my life as, as friends. And like I think the Hallahans just illustrate that, like in you know there's, there's like 20 of them. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So it's like the four kids and the parents, and it's like it right. comes as a package deal, you know, and it's like yeah. pretty awesome. But FBM's had a very wild lineup of brothers, you know. There's the Court brothers, Courts brothers, mm-hmm. the Ginch brothers, the Baker brothers, the Leaper brothers, the Hallahan brothers. It's like oh, I forget the it's Bakers. Like, it's like you know, there's yeah. so much. Like it's actually a family, you mm-hmm. know. It's like people be like, oh, you know, like so and so. This is a family vibe here until they, you know, don't get the deal they want, and they're like. Those jerks. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> this is right. Actually, right. family members, you know, like. Seems like the shops that are really uh, pushing FBM obviously get it, uh, and, and they're they're promoting the product because they believe in the company as well and the community that you represent. So yeah. I, I I like the shops that are that are really supporting what you're doing because they they just seem to understand. And I, and again, like like with the people that were a part of FBM or are a part of FBM like mm-hmm. without the shops like supporting FBM on the level that they do like we wouldn't be able to do the cool stuff that we, that we do you know and so it's like you know they know who they are like the shops that get our backs and like you know are patient with us like sometimes you know it takes a little while for stuff to come in or mm-hmm. or you know maybe we'll just send them the wrong goddamn thing <laughs> but uh well you're doing batches like anyone else right and yeah. then you have to throw customs in between and so it's we're really fortunate to have shops 
that like understand and believe in FBM and have patience with us being a small independent brand and like you know they're our friends too it's cool you know a lot of the times these people are at our events or we take a road trip and go hang out at their shop and like mm -hmm. we don't just go there and sign autographs we go and get lunch or dinner or you know right. spill coffee in there <laughs> um but yeah there's we're really lucky to have you know shops that believe in fbm enough to like put up with our shortcomings as well you know? <laughs> it's worth the wait i could tell I you i mean i we make good bikes like i don't Ew. care what anyone else says you know like i love the bikes that we make i love mm -hmm. riding them i love seeing people like out there in the world like having the time of their lives on something that you know we were able to make for them it's like you know it sound might sound corny but it's like that is like that's currency you know it's like that gets me motivated to keep doing what we do it's like you know whether we're sharing an afternoon at a demo or a contest or a jam or whatever or sharing what we made with you know people that are buying it you know our customers right like that whole experience is together like you know they're they're riding and enjoying something that like we built for them mm -hmm. but we're getting to see them do like you know, BMX is important to a lot of people, you know? It's like, if you get to... If you get to maximize that experience because of an FBM product, then that gets me hyped, you know? It makes me proud and, like... It's yeah. humbling, too, you know? It's like... Oh, sure. And this whole this whole experiment, this whole, like, you know, BMX dream that we've been chasing our whole lives, it's like... You know, it's like you need to be constantly reminded of, like, why you are a part of this. Like, why do you do this? And it's like, it's the people that make it all have some kind of value you know it's like i never was a pro bmxer i never you know did any of that that whole bit you know so it's like what i what i get out of bmx is just like the the relationships and like seeing people stoked and like that gets me stoked and i want to like you know i want to try to keep perpetuating that positivity you know and like all the good stuff you know mm -hmm. like, it's not perfect by any stretch you know right. it's like but like you know i always say like I just, I'm, I'm still learning as i go you know mm -hmm. so i had written down a question about the stoke that you provide as an announcer is is really super strong along with daryl when you do vans events where do you find the most gratification when it comes to diy or pro events and not to not to pit one against the other because it's not my intention but um, at DIY events and the stuff that we do, mm -hmm. everyone's a participant. It's not like a spectator-based event. So, like, if you're there building the course, riding the course, just there to hang out, mm -hmm. everyone's in the same forum. Like, and if I'm announcing, I'm also, like, next to the dude that, like, is about to drop in and the dude that built, you know, the ramp or whatever it is. And, um, and it's not better or worse than, like, you know, I'm super fortunate to work with Daryl on these Vans events, you know, like jerry and dennis mccoy and colin mckay and those dudes provide something that i think is very crucial to bmx and i'm like lucky to be to be a part of it mm -hmm. and that is a completely different level of stoke like when i'm like with everybody and we're doing it together at an fbm event it's like we're at a family reunion when i'm at the vans events i'm watching some of my heroes some of the best riders in the world it's literally it's the world cup and i'm announcing with daryl naw who's you know a a Piedmont of just positive, you know, excited awesomeness. And it's like this great atmosphere of really cool shit. And it's, it's some of the best riders in the world. And I'm so humbled to be there with them. 
and I'm so genuinely like enthusiastic with like and just like I watched it riding and I'm like I'm not like I, I just happen to have the mic and I'm like holy shit I'm like oh fuck <laughs> you know like and I'm just like yeah. and like Jerry's like hey don't quit swearing so whatever I'm doing with as an announcer at these events yeah it's me reacting to how rad it is to be there and mm -hmm. appreciating how lucky I am to be included in this cool shit. The Vans World Cup is one of the biggest and most important series in BMX. It's crazy to me as like the Grom that I, I still exist in my head as like I'm still a 13 year old kid like yeah. I'm hanging out getting pizza and ice cream with Dennis McCoy after the event and then like I'm on the deck with Scotty Kramer and like uh -huh. you know Dennis Anderson's over here and Chase Hawks over there and I'm like Oh man, we're all the FBM riders. <laughs> no, they're all at work. Fuck. No, I'm kidding. But it's like I'm not putting on an act when I'm yelling into that mic. I'm like, I can't believe you did that. That's awesome. And I'm like just reacting, you know, I think kind of like it's pretty earnest. I'm just like, I'm just pumped. And like I'm you know, lucky enough to be able to choose a couple choice words while I'm talking into the microphone and then like that helps make the event you know become maybe you know it, it allows me to to add my flavor to the event and like it's very complimentary to work with Daryl and we help narrate something that's already got all the energy in the world all the cool shit going on and we're just like here dudes check all this cool stuff out like let's put an exclamation point on that like mm -hmm. crazy run that you know any one of these amazing riders just did and like it just gets me psyched, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's it's completely different than the FBM events. Like I said, like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just as psyched at FBM events, but it's a completely different style of energy and it's like a completely different audience and it's a completely different format. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm pretty lucky to be able to like live on both sides of the fence, you know? Like, yeah. I might be a judge at, a, at the X Games announcing the Vans Pro Cup and then like building a ramp out of pallets two weekends later and it's and like a ghetto jam or something that's like pretty unique and i'm yeah. like i count my lucky stars like at all times because sure. it's like you know like i'm a part of bmx like it's right. what i dreamed of like i didn't have necessarily the talents that like you know mike tag became you know a legendary pro street rider for with fbm i would say for fbm mm -hmm. and like that was our dream you know we wanted to make it big so to speak you know Right. We saw the magazines and we we're like, oh man, we want to do that. But like my my talents were different than like being a pro rider. Right. So like I'm now I'm like, you know, participating in these events and I'm just, you know, that's that was my my path mm -hmm. to help create FBM and to like help promote BMX. Like that was you know, that's what became a my BMX dream and like I'm totally cool with that. I'm like super proud of like all of it. I like it. I like the and answer. proud not in a way of like where I, I want it to be like something that's like based with an ego. Mm -hmm. Pride like I'm proud that BMX allowed me to be a part of it. You know, like I'm just a kid in my head. You know, like I'm just like I'm just like in the crowd, and now like I'm, you know I'm kind of part of the crowd now, and it's like yeah. it still blows. It's overwhelming. It's like ah, this is awesome. And I think maybe that's what comes across when I'm announcing. I'm like, I'm just, I love when people are stoked. I love watching a 
folded over table like out of the deep end uh -huh. or whatever over some jumps and it's just like hell yeah that's badass and like when you're riding with your buddies and they do something cool and you start getting stoked and you're like yeah 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 like that's how it is like that's what it is like that's what we all been searching for you know like that stoke you know like when you're sharing a session with your buddies whether it's me as an announcer or on you know the roll in at some jumps or you know riding at the lost bowl or whatever it is it's like that stoke like i don't know exactly what the proper terminology is but it's like we're just going after that stoke we want to just be stoked and you want you're stoked when your buddies are stoked i know it sounds ridiculous i'm yelling it out loud right now but it's like you're excited if, you're if, showing exactly like, what this is all about you get like like i get so stoked when some of my one of my buddies does something cool and i, mm -hmm. I want to do something cool mm -hmm. you know then i do something cool and then one of my other buddies is like that's awesome i want to do something badass and like everyone's just feeding off each other and that's like I think that's kind of like, you know, sort of like an unsaid, like, bond between, like, all the mm -hmm. people that I'm close with in my life, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, whether it's like, you know, making something that's, you know, related to, like, an event we're doing or, like, a product that we're trying to develop for FBM or even just fixing the bus, you know, if we're broke down somewhere, it's like, yeah, 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 oh, shit, <laughs> let's do it, you know, it's like, it's all, it's all connected and it's like, well, the approach to things you right know? and look i mean we had a we had a a decent sized session of i don't know 10 guys or so today yeah yeah, yeah. go ahead you want to press pause or can you edit it no i, I just i'll just edit well everyone needs to know that you know everyone pisses <laughs> everyone farts everyone farts everyone pisses where did the who farted thing come from uh -huh. i don't know there's got to be a story behind that. There's no story behind that. I think it's just, I just say dumb shit and sometimes it sticks. It's pretty cool that we can keep this interview going well, while you're going. Well, usually I'll be driving the bus and I'll be like pissing in a bottle while driving the bus and <laughs> texting whoever we're trying to get to. Oh, and the dudes in the back are like, quit texting and driving. And I'll be like, quit smoking that weed over the gas can. <laughs> And no, I'm not pulling over so you can piss. You should have gotten a jug when you bought that 12-pack. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Oh, before I forget, this is really unique. What we're doing, uh, listeners, is as as Steve and I are conducting this interview here. Oh, train's coming. Um, we got to get off the tracks. Train! So, yeah, Steve is actually painting a, I, I don't know what it's going to be. But uh, Steve's doing a painting for us right now as we're doing the interview, and this will go up for auction at the Kevin Robinson Find Your Fight Jam. Oh, I may have to talk louder and louder. So by the time this... Hang on. <laughs> it's almost gone. So... I'm psyched Steve agreed to do this, and uh, so he's doing this painting that will be available at the silent auction at the Find Your Fight Jam at Powder Ridge Bike Park on July, July 29th. 29th. It's Sunday. Be there. Be square, nerds. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So this piece is this piece he's creating now is going to be available then, and uh, I just thought this was really cool. While we do a podcast, Steve uh, Steve's doing the artwork that that he's very well known for quit so, talking uh, i'm trying to concentrate over here <laughs> well, you didn't tell me you couldn't do two things at once 
This interview is going to be tough now. I don't know what the hell I'm doing in any, <laughs> any capacity. Well, I'm going to give you a softball here because while you paint, I definitely have questions about uh, sobriety and the... the uh, you're drawing coffee cup right now. Yep. And the tie-in, is there a tie-in with, with coffee? Because um, you often draw coffee cups. I think I inadvertently traded in my penchant for beer drinking with uh, coffee and I don't really like to go out to the, the bars at night anymore unless I'm going to see a good show mm -hmm. so in the mornings yeah, it's kind of my routine I go to the coffee shop I get a good cup of coffee sit there and maybe socialize with some friends that are passing through mm -hmm. and um, I just really wasn't really like I don't know I just kind of got into coffee like I yeah. like it yeah you know I appreciate a good cup of coffee these days and uh, I, I had been going through some stressful parts in my life and I'd always kind of bounced in and out of like doing art it was it's like it's always been a part of what I do at FBM like like one of my roles is I'm the art director for FBM and uh, but I was like oh, I want to just do some paintings and stuff I wanted to mm -hmm. and I started doing some watercolors and kind of like riding you know I, I knew that I needed to like start warming back up and getting into it again so I was just like all right I'm just gonna start painting so that I can get loose you know like right I mean you know it's just like getting the cobwebs off like if you haven't ridden in a while you just start warming up on something easy mm -hmm. and I didn't really I didn't really know what I wanted to paint but I knew that I, that I wanted to paint um, I felt like this need to like communicate and express some like you know some, right. some things I was trying to get out of my head mm -hmm. and I just started doodling coffee cups and then like you know doodling with paintbrushes and I put a couple up on my Instagram just like I'd put like a little catchphrase on it or you know the lyric of a song that I was listening to at the time that was all like applicable to like where I was I think one one painting it was just like it had been raining for a couple of days and I just wrote rainy day on it and drew like a haphazard smiley face on the coffee cup and posted it on Instagram and People were like, "Oh, that's cool," and like, I don't, I don't know necessarily what my my intent was, but I got a good reaction from people. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of kept making coffee cups with different like characters and like ideas and thoughts like within the coffee cup. And it sure. like, I call you know now it's like a gimmick, and it's like someone's like, "Oh, well, how many different ways are you gonna paint a coffee cup?" <laughs> and well, like, I try to like paint. I try to get outside my comfort zone a little bit, but like painting's just like riding, you know, it's like, yeah. not just like, but for me, right. it's like, you know, find something that makes me feel good. And then I just kind of get in the, the habit of, you know, doing that. And it's sure. like, make coffee cups and, you know, just kind of like, you know, make different variations yeah. of it. And it's like, for me, it's just like, it helps me like work through ideas and thoughts in my head. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm, I'm making something and then I'm sharing that with people, whether they're like buying some art off me or just leaving a comment on my Instagram. And it's like, it's just like a session. It's like you do something cool and it gets somebody stoked and they like, you know, respond. And mm -hmm. you're like, oh, cool, that got somebody stoked. I want to do, all right, I got this other idea for painting I want to do now. Or someone's like, hey, would you paint something for me? And I'm like, yeah, dude, what? They're like, oh, yeah, paint like this weird, crazy, dumb thing on this thing. And I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. You know, like I painted a dude's dog for him on top of a dirt jump one time. So, you know, like this, that, or the other thing. You know, just anyone's got like some silly idea and they like, you know, and I'm lucky enough that they want to ask me to do that for them. 
cool. Like, sure. I'm, it's like awesome. Yeah, I'm way, way into it. Yeah, and the, I mean, ramps were in there too, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's, I, I love the ramps. The, the ramps are such a symbol of, of, of the beginning of BMX for well, most I, of I us. I think like the, one of the things I like to paint, it's like, and it's, it's in FBM graphics also. It's the, the brick with the piece of wood on it, like the original ramp that, you know, every kid made for himself when he was, yeah. you know, getting into BMX. Mm-hmm. Some version of that, you know, like mm-hmm. a cinder block and a board. And to me, that represents the the most basic fundamental DIY concept. It's like you can be 11 years old and you're building your own fun. And it's like I draw on that inspiration, pun intended. Right. It's like, you know, like what, what inspires me, what motivates me, what like what gets me stoked to, to do the things in, in, in my world. And it's like, you know, that like little idea right there, like, oh, I built my own ramp and now I'm having fun on it. And then I'm, my buddies are coming over here and we're all like, you know, getting our kicks. Right. So like, that's like kind of like a, a symbol of like the catalyst for a lot of like, you know, how my world kind of like, be, you know, took, took its shape, which, you know, I may, and I probably didn't even realize that until I just said it. You know, like. Right. Well, I, I definitely wanted to touch on the subject because uh, I think it's. I think it's awesome, and I would imagine it's pretty therapeutic, and and uh, you're really good at it. Well, so I think that I'm lucky that I can bullshit people into thinking that this. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it's so informal, and there's nothing riding on it. I can just do this kind of like casually and comfortably in a way that like. However, it's working right now. Like people are into it. It makes me stoked. You know, I get to share it with people, and that gets them stoked. And it just, you know, keeps the cycle going. And like, sure. sometimes that's all. You know, that's all you need. You know, a cup of coffee and like some friends. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's something to it. I don't even know. <laughs> there is something to it. I, I I believe there's something to it. I can't speak for everybody, but I think there's something to it. And you know, I bought pieces and. And I can't wait to share with everyone the piece that you made for me for for the podcast. And yeah, well, now everyone's gonna want something. <laughs> yeah, kidding. well, you know, we no. go a little bit, a little bit back, and you know, it, it was, was it's uh, doing the art itself mm-hmm. gives me what I want from it. Having people appreciate it is a bonus, and. You know, people asking me to, you know, share some of this art with them. It's humbling and it motivates me to, like, try harder to tr- do cool shit. And it's just like riding, you know. You you go riding with your buddies and you do something. You, you like, rise to some challenge and you have a good time and you feel like you accomplished something. That session was good enough. That was, like, that was it. That was, like, what you were searching for that day. But if you got a cool photo and you shared it on Instagram... And your buddy that lives 500 miles away that you don't get to ride with was like, that's awesome, I'm going to go ride tonight. Fucking stoked. You're like, cool. You know, Scott Town got pumped, you know. Yes. Matt Copeland got pumped. Yes. And they're going to go yeah. do something cool. And then I'm going to be like, you know, there's like a crew of us, you know, some of the older generation of riders, and we all like try to ride as, as you know, we know the clock's ticking, so we, sure. we want to get rad as long as we can. And, you know, Scott does something cool. It motivates me. It influences me. It inspires me. You know, Copeland does something. Hell yeah, Keith Trainer. You know, Sean Yarrell. Like all these dudes, like understated heroes of BMX, are like, you know, 
a part of everything and like it's cool because like everything that we do that's like real crucial with fbm is real life but times have changed you know there's a community of dudes that we don't get to ride together like our lives are different and like we live in different places and have different mm-hmm. responsibilities but i could be like that's almost like i'm riding with that dude like I, I know what that session's like and i know he had to bust his ass to like keep his knees together on that x up and like you know yeah, make sure yeah, yeah. that table was flat enough and like right. et cetera, et cetera. it's like you know it's like so i get to ride with my buddies via social media nowadays sure and that's like very similar with you know the paintings you know it's like you do something you have a good day riding that's cool you know you get to share that with people and then you know it helps you know perpetuate some positive you know interactions with your friends and the people that you care about sure then that's even cooler and then it's just gonna you know for me it motivates me to keep trying to do cool stuff and it's like well yeah like i want to get my buddies stoked and you know i want i want to get stoked because they're you know doing something cool and like you know we we it helps me like stay connected in some ways and but like you know i just appreciate it and like it's not about hopefully it's not about ego but it's like that positive reinforcement from your like contemporaries your riding buddies your friends you know or people that you look up to or you know people in the industry that you don't even know that well but you like respect and admire and it's like cool you know like sure that's you know it's like getting some positive reinforcement from that like that's badass definitely is it's i i think everyone needs it for whatever they're doing you know whether it's your your artwork you know this podcast or just riding as a group you know riding with your friends it's it's like it's got to happen you know it it just makes the session that much better we're just trying to do cool shit right right you know like some people you know cool shit happens to be like oh matt hoffman just Mm -hmm. did a 20-foot air out of a 20-foot ramp that was pretty cool matt you also happen to be you know a pioneer of our whole culture yeah radical yeah yeah, i'm stoked you're hanging out with us in this parking lot and who knows where america right or you know some random guy that no one's ever heard of that is like just as influential and important in a completely different way and it's rad that we get to like intersect with all these like cool people because of bmx bikes and like that's awesome so i don't know how that relates to the paintings but it's like very much the same thing in my mind like just trying to do cool shit and trying to like get your kicks and trying to like share time and like what's important to you with like the people in your life you know well, I think it relates because it, it deepens the relationship and, and understanding of each other in a different way. It's not, it's the off the bike, you know. Well, the there's, it, there's, like, uh, there's a lot more depth to the people in our community than just tricks on bikes. That's what I'm trying to say, yeah. And it's like, and that's one of the cool things about your podcast that, you know, I talk to my buddies about and they're like, you know, I don't care what tricks so-and-so did. You know, I already know Garrett Reynolds is the best. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I've, and I just said, I have the utmost respect and admiration for Garrett Reynolds. Absolutely. But if I want to find out what tricks he did, I'll look at his Instagram. If I listen to a <laughs> podcast, I want to hear like about who this person is. I want to know who Garrett Reynolds is. I want to know who Garrett Burns is. Mm-hmm. I want to know who Clint Reynolds is. You know, I want to like, I don't want to know what tricks they can do or what contents placings they got. Right. I already know that. You know, right. it's like, I want to know like, what kind of shit? What kind of weird shit are you into? You know, you hit on a on a point that that Garrett brought up in in his podcast, and I think I think it's uh, it's something I've been inadvertently doing, but it's um, I'm a little more aware of it now. 
but yeah adding that whole texture he wants to know he specifically said he goes i want to know about their family i want to know about you know their life their kids their you know every every part of it that we don't see you know who we are is a lot more than like what we do on our bikes you know like there's a there's a way there's a lot of stories to be told Mm -hmm. that a lot of people in this day and age don't have the chance to learn about you know like bmx media landscape has changed over the years you know we used to watch you know video interviews and props or read magazine interviews that were like in depth with you know the stars of bmx and like that time has come to pass so it's like you know all right well if i want to be relevant in bmx i gotta have the whatever the current tricks are and like the popular style of riding and like right you know keep up with the joneses and that's all fine that's cool mm-hmm. but like i think that the personalities are what make bmx special and like the characters that are behind some of the events or the, some of the contest placings or like the companies like those things are what give BMX make it special for people mm-hmm. like me that like have been enamored with it my whole life you know? sure you know I wasn't like I didn't fall in love with BMX because someone was getting rad it was like the colors the mystique like I was like well, how'd that guy get do that on that bike like it wasn't like because it was rad it was rad because of who they were Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, who's this weird guy? Like, how do you get his bike in that position? Where's that crazy ramp or jump at? And like, whoa, check out, you know, all that trick stuff on his bike. I want that cool stuff, you know, like. Yeah. It, it, and it was like, and then I would slowly learn about it by reading every caption in every magazine and like right. listening to every word uttered and like, you know, learning every every band that was in like every video. I was like, what band is that? I've got to find out. And like, oh, right. You know, like just a totally like absorbing and consuming mm-hmm. for me what I thought was the culture of BMX and like it's different nowadays like kids have a totally different context and you know access point for learning about BMX and you know for better or for worse you know like mm-hmm. there's more spots to ride kids can see videos daily on any level right but like you know for me and my generation it was like oh man we didn't know what the hell was going on and we were just kind of like developing our own interpretation of things and it gave us our own value system for for what we thought bmx was sure and that's you know in part how we came up with fbm it was just our interpretation of things Mm -hmm. which was fun which was a complete diversion from what was going on at that time which uh was needed because i think you were the i think you're one of the first to really start to kind of mix things up and just and and bring it back to fun and and take well, the we were inspired by like groups like the ecd dudes and like the snm pros like right. like i mentioned john paul earlier like chris moeller and john paul and dave Clymer, they were like our heroes as you know kids and then sure. you know we got to meet like the dudes in bethlehem that did posh you know and it was like they were our heroes too we didn't even realize we were like the same age as those guys you know and it was like so we met all these people that were some of them are our contemporaries but some of them were just like you know the older you know pro or famous riders and uh in my memory like those were the people that were shaking things up that cut, they were like oh those dudes are doing cool stuff we want to be like that you yeah know? it's like you know and then so th- those were some of our early influences that like inspired us to be like maybe a little bit like out of you know the normal context for that era you know sure yeah 
they, they were definitely mixing it up then, and, and that was West Coast. So I think on, on well, and yes, the Bethlehem crew for sure in the East Coast. But what it was was like, we didn't know about skate parks back then. They didn't really have those on the East Coast. There was a couple here and there. Right. And um, the first one we went to ever was uh, Hudson Valley Skate Park. And then we went to Reading and like went to like, we started going to some events. But the one of the first things we, we were exposed to was like the formality of racing and then seeing like the S&M team like, and like the Butt Brothers being like right, right. total renegades, <laughs> and we're like, oh, those are our people. Like yeah, those yeah. dudes are cool. Yeah, you know, like check out Todd Lyons' necklaces. What a weird guy. <laughs> and that definitely that that fit for sure. And then it, it's it's funny because that's a, that ended up sticking, that and brought a whole breed of creativity. I think on after that. Yeah, I think the. Uh, in any situation, in any parts of like society, I think when things become homogenized, mm-hmm. there's breakout groups that totally change the game. And you know, I'm sure there's like young riders now that are like are sick of my generation stuff, and they're making their own companies and their own versions of BMX, and they're like changing what you know, changing the landscape. And that's sure. rad. And you know, like we were lucky for our time in our place when we were younger coming up. It was like. You know, we found inspiration in these, like, out, you know, these fringe BMX personalities. It was, sure. you know, back then it was like, you know, GT was like the, the main staple in Haro. Right. So, like, they had, like, the clean-cut BMX pros, you know, the the professionals riding for them, whether it was freestyle or for BMX racing. And right. It was like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Kerry Ellis is badass, but, like... Man, he seems like a square compared to climber. Check out this wild dude. <laughs> yes, you know? exactly. And you know, we ended up like eventually meeting Gary Ellis and riding push trails with him back in the old South Park National days, and being like, "Oh, dude, he's just as cool as anybody else, man. That's awesome." Right. You know, like, and like I remember one time like being at push riding the eight pack, and like Charles Townsend and Gary Ellis are doing a train with the push locals, and it's like, this is a cool juxtaposition. Like, this is rad. I'm sorry, I'm trying to get over the side of the, the They were in their leathers. It was like in between motos. Because <laughs> well, the hey. trails were close to the yeah. to the track, you know. Yeah, it was all right on the outside of the park, right? So I, I just I can't envision like the the Robinson with the spin wheels going through the I don't think he had apex. spin wheels on. <laughs> but just, I remember Gary Ellis thing. doing a one hander over the second set uh-huh. and then the third set, one hander with the other hand going the other way. <laughs> And then the fourth one, I forget what he did, but everyone, all the like rowdy, like antagonist kids being like, he like won everyone over. Everyone's just like, yeah, that's our dude. You nice. Know? And Charles Townsend riding all squirrely. Right, 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 right. But he like got through it and everyone was like, all right. Yeah, Not bad. <laughs> you guys are cool. I never would have guessed. Yeah, I, it was like pretty rad. Like, yeah. And that's the thing in like some of the best parts in BMX is that mm-hmm. it like, it transcends all the bullshit. It's like right. everybody's a part of it, whether you're man, woman, like, uh-huh. don't matter what part of the world you're from, like, what part of society you're from. When you're BMXing, like, none of that bullshit matters, and everyone's just like having the, the their time, you know. Everyone's just sharing an afternoon in some woods, in a parking lot, out of track, whatever, and like, nobody cares about all that bullshit. It's just like, who's cool, who's not. And not even so much who's not cool. It's just like, oh, you're cool. Yeah, hell yeah. This is badass. Yeah. And that's like one of the rad things that like, you know, I've been lucky enough to witness in my life. It's just like, 
that transcendence is that the right word like like they're BMXers it doesn't matter like and none of that other shit matters and it's like you learn a lot that way yeah and that was so cool then I mean when the Schwinn team would go around they'd actually look for trails and you know between races and that, that kind of stuff was just was just so cool it, it's uh What's awesome, I don't want to like, get on the topic, but it's, that's definitely missing now. So, as you said, we were fortunate enough to experience it. It's cool. We're, yeah. Every part of BMX that I've been able to, like, be a part of, mm-hmm. I'm lucky. But, like, being young and, like, learning how to start creating influence, but being influenced by, like, all the key factors, like, that time and that place... And I'm sure every generation says the same thing, but, like, that was it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that was cool. But now... I'm lucky enough to still be doing it, but it's just a different version of it, you know? Right. A 40-something-year-old dude now, it's different, you know? Like, the friends that I grew up with have moved on and gone on to different things, and that's cool, but now, you know, I'm meeting new people and, you know, doing different things. Right. But I'm still BMXing in them, and I'm still finding, like, all that, you know, that good stuff from, like, being a BMXer and, like, having fun riding bikes. I think that's the best way to look at it because we can't go back in time. So it's, no, it's uh, you like know, I've, it's, you know, it's been a struggle to be like, all right, you know, I'm not what I once was, and maybe I never was what I thought I was anyhow. <laughs> right. But it's like, all right, you know, I got to try a little harder, and I got to be on it a little bit. I got to be a little bit more intentional with how I go about doing things, just to keep the rust from collecting so quickly. Right, right. You know, if right, I don't right. get to ride for, you know, a little bit of time, it's like, all right, I'm, all right, I'm, a little, my confidence is down. I got to like. Yeah, right, we gotta keep riding all the time. Yeah, hey, we turned that around today. That's for sure. Hell yes. Today was, today was a great day. So if you don't mind, I was I was wondering. I am long winded, huh? <laughs> n- oh, you're not even close. You're not even close. You've got a long ways to go to beat some of the records I've got going with this podcast. Um, so I, I'm just gonna say that uh, it, there was a time that you lived a pretty wild life with uh in fbm i was wondering if there was any one event or thing that kind of pushed you to become sober well there's a couple different answers to this question Mm -hmm. you know we put out albert street in 1997 or 1998 that's Mm -hmm. 20 years ago and people people have said to me ever since like oh you guys used to be crazy what happened what changed i'd be like you know what's crazy starting a machine shop and making bikes that was crazy or somebody would be like Oh, you used to be wild. You used to drink and party and all this stuff. I was like, you know what's wild? I'm 43 and I'm still riding bikes and I live in a school bus. That's wild. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back. Sure. But it's like how people choose to define things is totally different. And, like, to me, you know, Albert Street was crazy. But, like, taking on the, the role as a manufacturer in BMX, that was almost insane. You know, people are like, what are you guys, nuts? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, but maybe, might as well be. You know, it's like, so, so there's that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But um, the reality of it is, um, you know, wild dudes on the road, every night's a party when you're on the road. Like, you know, you might be on the road for two weeks, but anytime you get someplace new, that's the first time you're there. And everyone's psyched, and it's a party, and everyone wants to have a good time. And you had a great session, and you get to hang out with all your buddies, and let's have some beers, and whatever else happens. And it's like, cool. Then all of a sudden, you know, that's, you know, three years, and then five years, and then ten years later, you're like, still on the road, you're still partying, you're still having beers, except now it doesn't take 
five beers to get drunk you need 11 right. and then it's like oh okay 15 years into it you're like all right well i'm not even on the road but let's get drunk tonight dudes like let's party right. and like whatever you know you just kind of like get used to a certain pattern in your life and uh you know there's an old saying it's like you don't have to almost die to have your life flash before your eyes you know like all of a sudden 20 years had gone by and i'm like 37 years old and i've been drunk half the time not like in my eye of like what a drunk or an alcoholic is or anything like that but i was like fuck dude we've been partying for a long time like we've been and partying i don't mean just like drinking beers or whatever it's like the fbm lifestyle like being on the road riding bikes you know sure getting drunk and smashing whatever right so you know i i kind of was like you know i hadn't realized how much time had gone by in my life i was like oh man i went you know became almost an adult at some point you know it's like really in my head i hadn't really changed that much but 20 years had gone by you know and it was like wow you know like it doesn't actually like feel that good to be drunk anymore and like you know it's like maybe i'm not celebrating for the right reasons it's not just because we had a good time riding or we're on the road somewhere it's like we were still doing all those things but we just became dudes that drank beer all the time and it's like why you drink i think changes as life goes on you know and it was like i kind of like adopted this persona that i'd let like you know just kind of let my life you know get taken away from me i'd say my life taken away that's the wrong way to put it but I had gotten carried away with my own ego and persona and like people's interpretation of who I was. And I just kind of was like, oh yeah, I'm Steve Crandall, the wild party dude that's part of FBM. You're like, let's drink beers and be rowdy and crazy, whatever. And uh, was that part of your stoke at one time? Is that how did I think you use every, that to stoke? I mean, I don't really know, you know, like it just, we were just, we were just rowdy dudes, like, you know. I'm not saying you were intentionally doing it to stoke people up, but in hindsight... I think it was, in just, hindsight, it was all like that same thing like I was talking about when you're on the, the deck or the rolling with your mm-hmm. buddies and you're just getting pumped. That same thing went into partying. Mm-hmm. We're like, let's get it, yeah, like we're, we're having a blast. So we were all like, kind of like self-perpetuating maniacs. Right. You know, and like, you know, some of the dudes didn't even drink, you know. Gilly never drank. John Lee's never had a beer in his life, never smoked a joint. You know, mm-hmm. but other dudes like me and Kelly Baker and like a lot of people that have, you know, in the the orbit of FBM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, you want to get some beers? Yeah, I got, let's go get some beers. Mm-hmm. And like, like I said, 20 years went by and I was like, fuck, dude, I guess I've been drunk for a while. But I didn't, that, this was me thinking about it in hindsight. Right. Um, what really changed was when Mike Tag got cancer and, you know, our time as like key players in BMX had started changing at the same time. You know, it's like the economy had changed, our business model had changed, um, the culture of BMX had changed, and we weren't the young dudes that were raising hell anymore. We were the old dudes that were like, we were the old guard. You know, the next generation was coming up. Mm-hmm. So all this, all these things were changing. So I'm going through all these like, you know, transitional parts of my life. At the same time, you know, my oldest friend that I'd known since seventh grade was dying of cancer and uh what year was that I was we were 37 Mike died when we were 37 years old we'd been friends for 25 years Mm -hmm. so six years ago six years ago yeah Mm -hmm. I guess and uh is 
that that was that was, a moment that that was the catalyst for what became the change in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much went off the deep end after Mike passed away. Um, I became sort of like the conduit for everyone in BMX in our community, like for their bereavement. Like everyone's like, "Hey, man! Like, how do I deal with this? Like, what do I do? I can't believe this happened." And they're like looking to me as like sort of like um, like a patriarch in our scene. Mm-hmm. Like, hey man, like this is crazy. This sucks. Like, what do we do? You know, our hero and our best friend had died, and it's like, shit, guys, I don't know. And then we would just have beers, mm-hmm. and then you know whatever else came our way, and we would just you know hide from our problems. And and that and you know Mike passing wasn't the only problem like. Sure. We were facing challenges with the business. Like, we were becoming older and, you know, less relevant. Maybe you know, less capable in some aspects. And like, you know, I felt like a lot of things were, we had like, I thought a firm grip on like our own reality, and things changed. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's as big a change as you can get. Somebody passing away. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think I just, you know, I didn't handle it very well. Like, I was really affected by it. In a very it was tough on me, you know, like, not only did we come up, like, as, you know, basically as brothers, like, me, him, and Gilly were, like, the original three dudes, and then Kelly Baker, and then everyone else, you know, kind of, like, became a part of all this, you know, mm-hmm. but we were the original dudes as teenagers that, like, it became FBM, and, uh, you know, like, Mike was always the dude that was the most brave, and the toughest, and the raddest rider, and the one that challenged us the most, and, like, really pushed the envelope in every aspect of our life and when he passed like you know he was the dude that I always looked to for approval so it was like he wasn't there anymore I was like what do you know what do I do and it was like you know he challenged me to do the best I could with steering FBM so like he was gone the company was like you know had stumbled and stuttered in certain aspects and it's like fuck dude I was just like overwhelmed by it all and at the same time I'm supposed to like be a pillar for the people in my community and I was just like well I guess I'm getting drunk tonight yeah. and I would just be in my kitchen by myself listening to like you know probably some pretty sad songs just getting hammered by myself sure. you know sometimes it'd be like a party and I'd be pretending everything was cool and then I think about a year of me just in effect like you know, it's. I was almost like soft suicide. Like I was trying to kill myself through drinking. I wasn't literally trying to kill myself, sure. but I might as well have been. Right. And uh, I was helping Mike Tag's mom move some of his stuff, and I was like carrying a, a milk crate full of our BMX trophies from like the early '90s, from when we used to race at Bingo BMX. And he would always beat me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would be like him and him and Gilly be like, you know, battling for it, and I'd be like, you know, two 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 pedals behind him like wait for me dude sure yeah yeah and uh, I'm like I'm moving this uh, milk crate full of his trophies and some of his belongings I'm just kind of hanging out with his mom checking in and she kind of just gave me a look of like kind of a concern but also kind of like you know better and she never said anything to me and I didn't Mm -hmm. tell her for years but I was like she kind of looked at me like almost disappointed but almost like you know better you need to be taking better care of yourself like Mm -hmm. and also like hey, like, it's okay, this sucks, you know, we're all in this together, and I never had a drink again, I stopped cold turkey that day, and I was hungover, 
Mm -hmm. I had been, you know, in my hometown in Ithaca doing the same old thing, just getting hammered and raising hell, whatever the hell I was doing. Sure. And that was four years ago and two weeks to right now. Mm -hmm. So I've been dry for, you know, that long. And right. So on some levels, I was like, you know, I was, you know, banging my head against the wall because it's like, oh, you know, like, Mike's gone. And it's like, how many times could I have been a better friend or like, I wish I could have done this or I wish we could have done this or sometimes I would just want to text him. I'd be driving by some place that we got into some wild scenario and I'd be like, oh, you know, like, remember that time? It's like, fuck, dude. Like, those yeah. were hard, hard realities to face. Right. But also just like becoming more grown up and older and like, you know, our, our, our youth like mm -hmm. slipping away from us and at the same time like cancer taking over his body and like, you know, eventually taking his life and like even to the last minute he was brave and courageous and he like carried a lot of all that stuff on his shoulders like yeah. it was like crazy because I think he knew that he was going to die a lot you know before we ever did mm -hmm. and we like did a lot of benefits to raise money to like you know help him you know sure you know whether I think we raised a lot of money and that was really humbling mm -hmm. but we were showing him that like the community was behind him and that we cared about him and that he meant a lot to a lot of people mm -hmm. and that was really cool and I think he knew for a good part of that time that he wasn't going to come out of this. But he never let on. He was just like, you know, and then, you know, he passed away and it was like. Did he ever express fear to you? I don't know. Like, we had a very, like, polarizing relationship where it was like mm -hmm. we were either, you know, scrapping with each other and you know drunk in, in some parking lot mm -hmm. or we were doing whatever we could for each other you know and it was like I don't I don't remember him I kind of remember him like and this was in retrospect I remember him kind of like we I was leaving town and I, I never saw him again and he kind of gave me like a gesture of like peace out dude like I probably won't see you again but he didn't say that but looking back I remember like it connected after the fact that I was like that was his acknowledgement, you know, and it was like, we had kind of like, you know, cleared a couple, you know, we were best friends, but we also had a history with each other, you know, sure. like, you know, and like, we kind of, I don't say buried the hatchet, because we weren't like not friends, but there was times where we were like, we were, it was difficult for, we were difficult friends. Mm -hmm. Like he challenged me, he pushed my buttons, and I did the same thing to him, you know, mm -hmm. where I was like, inconsiderate or you know n totally selfish and like you know things that young knuckleheads you know do to each other they're like sure. oh man i wish i wouldn't have done that and you know it's like we kind of had like expressed a mutual respect and admiration and like sort of like an unsaid understanding in our like inability to communicate like dudes do mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was like I, I remember there being like that like moment of like this is our whole lives right here. Hug, mm. shrug, goodbye. Never saw each other again. Man. And that was like, to this day, one of the, it was hard. It's hard on me. Mm -hmm. But he still, to this day, pushes me to do better. Whether it's at like riding bikes and like just not being a pussy or there's like, you know, not taking the easy way and like you know like well, that was one of the things that he like 
inspired within all of us at FBM was like, we never took the easy route. It was like, we're going to earn this. Mm-hmm. And that was like a lot of his like inspiration within the group. And that's like, you know, can't thank that dude enough for that kind of like, you know, he helped. He pushed us to become better at what we were all doing in every aspect of our lives, whether it was travel or riding or, you know, filming and, you know, making the company and like doing all this cool shit. Like, he's like, you'd be like, you know, it's like, it's easy to be like, all right, that was good enough. He'd be like, uh uh. You know, it's like, all right, you're right. Right. And it's like, you had mentioned when we were driving earlier, if you're okay talking about it. Uh, you had mentioned a letter that you had left him. Is that right? Yeah. I. One of the last times we hung out, I had uh, I wrote him a letter basically being like, hey, you know, like, I'm sorry for all the times I wasn't the best friend I could have been, but I want you to know that you've been a huge inspiration to me my whole life and super proud of you in this fight against cancer, you know, in everything you've accomplished in your life, like, just proud of you. And, uh, he never said anything about it, but uh, when he died, my buddy Fisher said that that note was on his end table, and it like he kept it there. Took he my breath away. I was like, "Fuck!" Didn't put it like, away. He left it right there. Yeah, I was like, "Damn, dude!" Like, all right, that was it. <laughs> you know, that's that's he he wasn't one to like tell you stuff, right? But like that was like his acknowledgement. Like, mm-hmm. we're good. We we went on this journey together cool i'll catch you on the flip side man that's like the bravery i just can't he's a fucking tough dude man tough i can't imagine i don't know he's an asshole (laughs) but you know the, the the most important people and the most important things in a person's life are rarely the easiest things you know like and tag was a difficult dude you know like there was times when i'm like you are but then there'd be times when I'd be like, man, that is the coolest shit ever. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like give and take and like hard lessons learned through life, you know, like, you know, but I miss that dude. Yeah. So, so it took about a year, year and a half before you, I don't remember exactly how stopped. long, so, you know, I count backwards with the math, but I'm terrible with numbers, but yeah, a year of me like, you know, hiding from sure. it and then just partying and, you know probably what a lot of people do like right just like fuck dude i don't want to deal with this i'm gonna fucking light one up let's fucking rip it let's but then something clicked and then you know like mike's i knew i knew that my time with drinking was like coming to an end you know like i didn't Mm -hmm. know but i knew you know Mm -hmm. i kind of like had like the instincts were kicking in that like Mm -hmm. it was probably time for me to like get my shit together but then mike's mom kind of like giving me that look yeah and it was like a look of concern but also like hey dude get it together right. I don't know if that was her intention but you know she was like my second mother you know we our our childhoods were you know shared households like sure Gilly's parents our buddy Hambone's parents like yeah Tag's parents my parents we all like sure you know it's like that movie Stand By Me like yeah. you know it's like once you you just train <laughs> um, I'm gonna piss while that thing's roasted <laughs> I never cooked that chicken. Should we wait a little bit to cook it? Uh, yeah. I don't want to like be cooking that chicken and be distracted by all this. 
whatever you want to do, I'm I'm totally good. Let, let me just say one thing. So I'm gonna I'm going to I'm gonna stop and save and then uh, probably start this as a part two. Cool. But um, it seems to me that Tag's mom didn't want to lose another kid, basically. If you want to look at it that way, because you were like family. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I never thought about it like that. But yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, yeah, I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm not smart enough or wise enough to say why or what it all meant, but, you know, that's, you know, long story short, you know. Right. Yeah, she did. All right, we're going to wrap up part one of the Steve Crandall interview on a little bit of a serious note, but a good, real good conversation. So I can tell you that, uh, let's see, it looks like, I don't know, partway through this, this painting, it's coming along pretty good. So let's see how it turns out. In part two. Yeah, that was a little heavy. I don't... All right. Concluding part one. Pretty heavy stuff about Mike Tag and the memories that Steve has of him. It continues a bit into part two, so listen up and catch that one when I release it next week just a note the song selection for the intro is from Steve Crandall and it's Fugazi and the title of the song is You Are Not What You Own which is pretty appropriate for a lot of the things he talked about so have a great week we'll talk to you soon